I want you guys to pray in agreement with me. Paul the Apostle talked about praying all, at all times in the Spirit, praying for all the people, but he, in verse 19 of chapter 6 of Ephesians, he prayed that utterance may be given to him in the opening of his mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. And um, he said that I may make it speak boldly as I ought to speak. He said, I'm an ambassador in chains. It's really what ministry is. You're an ambassador. You're, you're bound to a responsibility. It's not a vocation. It's not a, some sort of thing you, you do. It's a calling. And uh, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel when he faced off with the Roman Empire and all of its sophistication. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Say that with me. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. In fact, he's saying, I pray that I would be clear, make it clear with boldness how to speak the mystery of the gospel. It's a mystery. It's mysterious. There's a mystery to it. That I pray that it'll be clarified for you and that revelation will come. You guys remember Paul Harvey? Paul Harvey was a radio broadcaster and he's passed, and he had a great radio show and there was a famous saying that he used to say. He would share stories and anecdotes about things and he'd find current events and just had an amazing kind of way about him and he was very interesting to listen to. And um, he used to always have a certain segue into a point. You guys remember what he used to say? Now for the rest of the story. You guys remember that? Now for the rest of the story. I used to really enjoy listening to what he had to say because uh, he was centered on ultimately God's word and God's values. And uh, that's kind of rare these days. So when you hear that kind of voicing, you, you want to pay attention to it. There actually are people that are standing up and sharing this message in a in an effective way, in a non-threatening way, and, and yet they're bold to do it. Paul was, uh, he said, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. Jeremiah said, it's like fire shut up in my bones. And so uh, I, I, I want to talk to you about the rest of the story. I want to talk to you just, to, just for a moment about Good Friday and what happened from Friday, Saturday to Sunday. Jesus laid down his life paid a price, the ultimate penalty for our sins and everything that would separate us from God. And uh, he took upon himself all of that pressure, all that oppression. You guys remember how weird it felt when you sinned? You, you know how off-putting it is and how it stings in your life. The, the Bible talks about the sting of sin and the sting of death. But Jesus actually took that upon himself, multiplied by 10 billion and on the cross. He, he, that's why he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, it was in agony. He suffered and he died so that we could, we could live. We could have eternal life. I was interviewed by some students that were, are foreign born and came and stood right over there and asked me what I thought about Jesus. And I told him, I believe Jesus is God's son. I believe he died on the cross for our sins. I believe he was buried and I believe on the third day he rose from the grave. I believe he's ascended and I believe he's coming back. I believe he's fully God and fully man, and that if you call upon his name, you'll be saved. They're from a different worldview that didn't believe it, but I let them know about it, and I'm trusting that God will lead them into the truth. Because the Bible says you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Everybody say, now for the rest of the story. I want to go to the book of uh, Romans and the fifth chapter, and we're going to spend just a little bit of time here 
Uh, and I want to show you the contrast between Adam and Jesus. And there's a verse I want to start with, then I want to kind of explode out of it. Verse 16, it talks about the contrast between Adam and Jesus. Adam was, as you know, the first prototype human being. Genesis, God created man in his own image. He created male and female. He created Adam. He created Eve. Told him to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. He put him in a beautiful garden with all kinds of fruit-bearing trees. And he said, man, you can eat from all these trees except this one. Don't eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if you do, you will surely die. Then there's the reality that Satan deceived and Adam and Eve caved in. And there was an incredible fall where Adam and Eve forfeited their place and position of authority and vitality and connection with God. But God yet promised in that garden that he would provide someone that would come in and he would change things. And so it's the contrast between Adam and Jesus. Everybody say, now for the rest of the story. So in Romans chapter 5, it says in verse 16 that the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. Jesus is the gift. Adam is the one who sinned. For on the one hand, everybody say on the one hand, judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, everybody say on the other hand. Now for the rest of the story, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. Now what does that mean? There's a contrast between Adam's disobedience, the transgression that by it many died, the Bible said all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet, the gift is not like the transgression. The gift of Jesus is far greater, much more did the grace of God and the gift of the grace of God uh, impact and abound toward many. I want to tell you what Adam did in his fall was significant. It was monumental in the scheme of things. Darkness encroached the earth. It was a terrible loss. Historians and theologians call it the fall of man. But you have to have a position from which to fall from. And I just want to say just quickly that there was something that was glorious before the fall. In the beginning, God created everything. And then he made Adam and Eve. And he said that, that they were the crown and glory of his creation. King David even contemplated all the beauty of the universe, and he said, I consider the moon and the stars and all these things you've created. What is man that you're so mindful of him and the son of man that you take thought in him? I'm going to tell you, God knows about your deal and he really loves you. And even though you may not feel like it, and even though you may be in a faith crisis right now, even though you may feel cheated or hurt or robbed in life, I want to tell you, it did not come from Jesus. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus comes to give abundant life. Recently, I was reading an article someone sent me from a preacher, and he talked about how Jesus was an equal opportunity disappointer. And he talked about how John the Baptist was disappointed in him, and Jesus even said, I pray you don't stumble over me. Well, the Bible yet says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will not be disappointed. So, as I read this engaging message, and I thought the preacher was stellar in his thinking, but I didn't necessarily agree with it. I, I have never really been disappointed by the Lord. I've never really been hurt by God or frustrated toward him. I mean, I'm frustrated toward the world, and I think the devil is evil, and I'm looking forward to Jesus coming back. 
Uh, but God is good, and his mercy endures forever, and he is the great stabilizer. He is the, he is the God that is more than enough. And, and tonight I want to talk to you on the other hand and the rest of the story. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came to give life, and that much more abundantly. He came to give a type of life that even heaven itself enjoys. And the Bible says that we're raised up when we are buried with him through baptism into death. The Bible says we're raised up to walk in newness of life. So there was condemnation that came from Adam's failure. When Adam sinned, they were banished from the garden. And all, if you read all through the book of Genesis on, there's all this conflict. And I noticed how much fighting between family and brothers and such conflict, war, rumors of wars, and all that kind of stuff. You don't need me to really elaborate on it because I want to spend most of my time talking about the rest of the story. On the other hand, the good news. Uh, You've heard enough bad news, but I, I feel like we need to understand why Jesus allowed himself to be nailed to the cross. It was because sin separates us from a holy God, and God did not want us to experience wrath. He did not send his son even to judge us, uh, but in order that we would be saved. He didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Romans 8.1 says this so resoundingly, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wow. Man, there is something amazing about the guilty sentence taken off of your life and being set free. Being set free. Walking out of the prison of sin and being able to stand before God without the sense of fear and condemnation and unworthiness. The Bible says God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. He said it's to your advantage that I go because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to come into your life and he's going to give you power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. There's never been a more wonderful time to be alive than right now. There's never been a more significant moment for you and I to be genuine Christians than right now. There have been a lot of slots in history that needed believers to step up, but there's never been a time quite like this time. And I'll tell you what, it's our time. And let's not push back from it. Let's look at it. Let's look at the rest of the story. Jesus is coming back to a glorious church. He's coming back to engaging, serious, committed, on-fire people with passion There's a song that came out of Belfast, Ireland years ago. It means a lot to me when something comes out of a hard scrabble place. There's something powerful when somebody comes out of something or a group of people or a voice comes out of something. All the conflict those people had and out comes this voice in the the late 90s. Be the, Jesus, it's all for you, Jesus. Be the fire in my heart. Be the wind in these sails. Be the reason that I live. Jesus, Jesus. In fact, I pray if there's any passivity in your life, it just takes off right now. I pray if you've been just sort of random and sporadic, you get really deliberate and intentional starting tonight. I pray the power of the Holy Spirit gets on the inside of you and you get energized and strengthened with might by his spirit in your inner man. I pray that you would understand who you are in Christ, what you have because of Christ, because what Adam failed to, and what he, what he forfeited is absolutely resolved so majorly that Jesus has triumphed over the the power of sin. Jesus has triumphed over Satan. Jesus has given that triumphant power to the church, and we are more than conquerors through him. 
So let's just look at this just for a moment. Romans chapter 5 is so amazing. At the first verse it says, it says, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. I remember watching a Western where a guy got shot at high noon, you know, and instead of asking for a shot of whiskey or a bullet to chew on, Somebody came over to him and took his hat off and said, you need to make your peace with God. I mean, that was a rare movie. Most of them are the whiskey and the bullet, you know. Uh, but this one was make your peace with God. I saw another movie. A man was dying in a car accident and he said, Jesus, Jesus, save me. And I thought whoever wrote that was one of the most honest screenwriters that I'd encountered. It was a, a fascinating thing. Uh, how much fantasy and silliness people put in that moment. I'm grateful when the people are honest. We need to have peace with God, and Jesus has come to bring peace. He's the one that produces peace. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace. It's as though Jesus came in and said, excuse me, have you met my father? Father, this is so-and-so. Jesus came with a spirit of adoption to rescue lost souls and restore us back into the presence of God. That we could enter into this and exult in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, one trans, the J.B. Phillips translation says, since we've been justified by faith, let us grasp the fact that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But it says not only this, but we can even exult in our tribulations. Hear the word of the Lord. There's actually hope in Jesus. He is substantial. In fact, he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He's mighty in battle. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the resurrection and the life. I got a contact from a church member. He said, man, I, 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 my mother is at the last stages of her life in hospice, and I'm struggling. I just, want, just wanted you to know about it. So I texted him back some scriptures. He said, I don't even want to talk. I'm managing my emotions. And all of us who've experienced loss, we understand the incredible challenge of that, and that death is actually an enemy, and it, it's awful. It's something we'll never be used to. It's something we're not uh, uh, even designed to embrace. But the Bible says, Jesus, he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He said, when you believe in him, even if you die, you live. Resurrection power gets on the inside of a soul and turns it around. It gets on a depressed person and it brings balance. It gets on somebody that's anxious and brings hope. It gets on somebody who doesn't know what to do and it brings this possibility that with God, all things are possible. I said, with God, all things are possible. And so on the other hand, we've got to look at the other hand. It's so amazing that we have peace with God that we can even triumph in our troubles. Now, this is counterintuitive, it, 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 but I want to tell you, God's not a sadist and we're not masochists. It's not like, oh, great, we have more troubles and challenges. It doesn't mean that. It just means that, hey, in reality of life, it's a fallen world. There are difficulties, challenges, struggles, and trials, but yet God is more than enough for me and that I am in Christ and I am more than a conqueror through Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It says that, that, that we even can triumph in our troubles. We could rejoice even in our sufferings. He says we exult in our tribulations knowing that tribulations brings about three things. Perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out or shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Hey man, I'm a big hoper. I've got a lot of hopes. 
But I've been around long enough to have all my idealism pretty heavily challenged. It's burned up. But I'll tell you what's left. The pure gold, refined, fireproof faith that Jesus produces on the inside. How many of you understand that God is good? He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows those who take refuge in him. There's a pastor named Pastor Dritan, Dritan Gashi. And he was evicted from his town in Jakova, just 30 miles away from Albania. And they had to leave everything at gunpoint. And they had to say, he had to say goodbye to his brother. He had become a Christian. His brother had not. So he gave him a gospel tract, a little article that was written that would communicate the gospel, the message of Jesus to his brother. And he explained this to me personally. And it's deep when he told this story to me because I, I, I want to tell you the rest of the story on the other hand, like Paul Harvey. And I want to tell you the rough part first. This town got firebombed. People were killed. Newsweek magazine said this was called the, the most devastated town of the entire place. And that's where God sent us. And they were evicted and they had to leave. And for 70, I think 72 days, I think if I'm getting it right, they were away from each other. And then a peace accord was signed and NATO responded and help came. And in that case, things got turned around and they were able to come back to their homes, though they were burned and though they were, things were stolen, it was terrible. A lot of the male population was killed. He saw his brother and he said, I prayed for you. And his brother said, I prayed for you too, Dritan. He said, what do you mean? And he pulled out that gospel tract that he had given him all crumpled in his pocket. And he said, I prayed and I asked Jesus into my heart. And he was saved. Oh, yeah. Some of you know that's a bigger deal than some others. That's the other hand. God turned that around. And in fact, as I have the privilege of standing here and looking at you guys, I don't know all of your stories, but I, I've been included in on some. And it fascinates me how great God is, how great your God is, how amazing and how much he responds to your childlike faith, how tenacious God has made you to be, how he's designed you to be more than a conqueror, given the kind of garbage you've had to fight your way through, and it, that, that it's produced proof, proven character, perseverance, and hope. The Bible says we can even count it all joy when we encounter various temptations, tests, or trials, knowing that God will turn these things around for good. There's redemption on the cross. That's why the cross is so important that we must never forget what Jesus sacrificed when he laid his life down so we could have eternal life. Jesus didn't die so he would start religion or start Christianity. Jesus died so that people like you and me, sinners, could have salvation and be forgiven and our debt load would be erased and we'd be able to stand before God without the sense of condemnation and we would not be destined for wrath. Listen, it says in verse 6, it says, For while we were yet still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. I take issue with people that say God is the God of the last minute. I've heard people flippantly say that. I've never felt right about that. His timing is perfect. The Bible says our time is in his hands. Time is a great resource. And the Bible says teach us to number our days that we may provide a, a heart of wisdom. So instead of bemoaning the way existence is. Let's celebrate and draw from this Good Friday. It's Good Friday. When I was young and I thought about how Jesus died on this day, I thought, what's good about that? That's awful. Well, what was awful for Jesus is good for us. 
That's why it's so filled with goodness, capital G-O-O-D, because capital G-O-D sent his son, J-E-S-U-S, to die on the C-R-O-S-S, on the other hand, so that we could have eternal life and access to God. This is real stuff right here. This is what all the nations need. This is what every comparative world religion, as sophisticated and wonderful and amazing as the philosophies are. This is what all the physicists and all the scientists and all the theorists and all the intellectuals, all the up and outers and down and outers, every man, woman, and child on every square inch of planet Earth needs the Lord Jesus. His blood alone is what's paid the penalty to get us out of the hot water that Adam and Eve got us into. The shed blood of Jesus was pure. He never sinned. And while we were helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And then it says in verse 9, it says, well, in verse 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us so that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. In 1 Thessalonians, it says that when you're saved, you're not destined to wrath. You stand before God without the sense of guilt or condemnation. Aren't you grateful for this proposition? While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, everybody say much more. Having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the life. He's the opposite of morbidity. He's the opposite of darkness. He's the Lord of life, and he's the, he brings light. He brings love, and he brings forgiveness. Wow. And not only this, but we exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Reconciliation. Verse 12 talks about Adam. It says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Like you, I watch the news and I think about Zika down in Brazil. I think about Ebola and Liberia and the Ivory Coast and so forth. I'm burdened like you are. I hear about Alzheimer's. I hate cancer. I hate all that stuff like you do. I see the atrocities that you see and I'm burdened and concerned. And yet, listen, turn our eyes back over and look at the other hand. Everybody say, now for the rest of the story. Here's the rest of the story. We know that darkness encroaches the earth and that it all entered in through the sin and the failing of our prototype Adam. And then it says, uh, verse 13, until the law, sin was in the world, but now sin is not imputed where there is no law. And then it says in verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is the type of him who was to come. Now, it's interesting. Adam is a type of Jesus who is to come. Adam is the first. Jesus is the firstborn of many brethren. Adam was our natural earthly father, our earthly beginning brother. In fact, you know, I see all this Ancestry.com, and I see people tripping out wanting to do DNA tests. I saw an ad where this guy was all excited wearing Lederhosen, that he was German, and then he got bummed out and found out he wasn't German. So he had to trade his Lederhosen in for another. So I, mean, I think you got to kind of be bored in life to run in that kind of deal. Because here's what I've already figured out. 
I'm made in God's image, and Adam was my, the firstborn, so then, and then Jesus came on the scene, and so I'm all good with Ancestry.com. I mean, that's, you say, well, don't you have any interest in it? Now that I'm saying it, I kind of do, but I... Verse 15, here's the key verse of this chapter. Here's the key verse. If you're now starting to really comprehend, listen to this. It says, but the free gift is not like the transgression. The free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. Everybody say, God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. Those in Reformed theology, my Presbyterian friends, have a really great revelation of the grace of God. God's grace is his mercy, unearned, undeserved, but yet must be received. The free gift is a gift, but it must be received. Again, I wanna commend you for being here tonight. It goes beyond formality. It goes beyond religious routine. There's a reason you're here. There's a reason that we're in this building that you drove around trying to find a place to park. I like it. I always prayed there would be traffic jams at church. I got my prayers answered. It bothered me that there was so much busyness during the work week and then there wasn't a traffic jam on Sunday. I'm praying in Jesus' name there will be traffic jams around church. Why? Because I prayed people would find out that the free gift is not like the transgression. The death that came through Adam has had notable impact on the earth. It bothers me that a mosquito-borne disease can so oppress the next generation, that Ebola would threaten a whole group of beautiful people in a continent. It bothers me when there's so much hostility. It bothers you, I understand that, but let me tell you, you need to get on the other hand. You need to hear the rest of the story. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. This is why this message is all the more pertinent today. I don't need to get shrill, I don't need to whine, I don't need to try to explain it. The gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes. God has called me to proclaim it, and proclaim it I will, and proclaim it we must. It's time for us to communicate the gospel, let God arise and his enemies be scattered. And our fight is not against people, it's not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle and you need to keep the the big deal the big deal. Get an awareness of what's really going on. The Bible says that though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Right now, strongholds are being pulled down around your minds. If I was in this situation, I'd never been to church before and I wasn't clear about Jesus, at this point in the service, I would want to ask Jesus to come into my heart in order to have peace with God, in order to correct the sin condition in my life. Apparently from the Bible, we can't work our way out of it, we can't deserve it, we can't can't earn it. In fact, the Bible says that you are saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works lest any man could boast. A couple years ago, I got lost out in the ocean in New Zealand, in the Pacific Ocean, in a current. I got pulled away from the boat and away from my diving partners, and they didn't see me for an hour and a half. I got pulled out into the open sea, and it reached the point where it was absolutely impossible that they would find me. I was wearing an ink black wetsuit. 
I didn't have a flashlight. I didn't have a whistle. I didn't have a GPS uh, message sender. Uh, but I had Texas-sized angels flying all around me. And I had prayer that I could pray through my snorkel. And I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, please give that captain wisdom to know when I left, what the, ti- what the current was like, the wind conditions. The- and I prayed this thing out through my little snorkel and gave it up to God. I swam as hard as I could. It was feeble, which often is the case with our human efforts in the midst of our struggles. Our best attempts are dwarfed by the big massiveness of the challenges and trials and struggles that are bearing down on us. I, I don't know how people do it without Jesus. And when, you know, when my neighbor says, oh, I know that gives people hope. You know, it's, it's beyond, additionally, it's because it's the truth. Jesus is the truth. It's reality. He absolutely is authentically fully God and fully man, and he has come to destroy the work of the devil and set captives free. It says, and I'll read it again, the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for on the one hand, the judgment arose from the transgression resulting in condemnation. On the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. Verse 17 says, For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more. Everybody say much more. more. I'm a big believer in much more. I believe in superabundance. You you know, and I'm going to just say this too. I know I'm I'm an American, and I know that our country is relatively young, 200-something years old. I realize that it was founded by people who were pursuing religious freedom. They were willing to leave the comforts and confines of the stability of their their homes, and they came here on an adventure. And I think there's something instilled in places like this place or Australia or South Africa, places where they're new and people step out of problems along the lines with it and there were atrocities along the lines. But I think fundamentally, there was a, the, one of the core values was a willingness to step out into an adventure. So I think there is something instilled here in, in this moment right now that we need to not take for granted, that... Uh, there's sort of a heightened expectation. And yet with that, though, it's like, well, are we just in this American dream? Are we just sort of artificially hyped? Are we just sort of people automatically prone to being jacked up? I was with a number of uh, European friends recently, and they said, no, what we like about you Americans is that you have this concept that things are possible. And, you know, it was interesting hearing them. The Bible says, let another man praise you, not your own lips. And they weren't patronizing me, and they weren't trying to go, a little happy American with your cowboy hats. (laughs) No, they were basically saying, you know, we've noticed that there's something of a tenacity, something something embedded. And and I think, you know, generalities and and, and, and stereotypes are are dangerous, but I I think there's an aspect of this that that deserves to be considered. But with that, I want to say that because we have an American dream, I don't want you to misread this picture like it's sort of an amalgamation of the American dream uh, with some sort of hype theology. I have no interest in hype, and I have no interest in amalgamating anything. I want to get the pure, real, original purpose of why Jesus came. And I'll tell you, for this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the work of the evil one. And then he said he came to seek and save that which is lost, And he said, what I desire to do is to please the Father. He said, my meat is to do the will of the Father. Jesus said, Father, I have glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you've given me to do. 
In John chapter 17, his great priestly prayer, you should read it, right before he died, when he was willing to submit and be nailed to a cross, a crown of thorns platted on his head, piercing through his forehead in his beautiful, holy life, nailed to a tree in order that he would pay the penalty to eradicate the sin condition and give the possibility of freedom. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and don't return to a yoke of bondage or slavery. God's not given us a spirit of slavery. He's given us the spirit of adoption where we can cry, Father, thank you for the breakthrough. Thank you for the healing. Thank you for the mercy. And when you face off with stuff that doesn't reconcile, you could just say, thank you, God. You've got this all sorted out. God, I just thank you that you are good and your mercy endures forever. And I'm going to get proven character, perseverance, and hope out of this every time. Everybody say, on the other hand. hand. Now it says, now for the rest of the story. And I'm about to finish. Listen to what it says here. It says, so if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, get, get ready for this, will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Don't, skip, don't skim over the surface of this verse. I saw some AT&T workers by a pond down by my house, and they were skipping stones on the pond. You know, the whole thing is just try to skip a stone. And it just skims along the surface. Now, I like taking big old boulders and plopping them in and just... I like skipping stones, but I like plopping boulders. Skipping stones just sort of goes over the surface, but you plop a boulder, it'll cause waves, and it'll cause a ripple effect. In fact, I, in Jesus' name, I trust that what God is about to do right now will reverberate through the nations of the world. You guys are empowered by the Holy Spirit, whether you know it or not, to carry this life-changing message to this world in these particular troubled times. God, in fact, is looking for people who will stand up and recognize their moment and understand the day of their visitation and know and honor God and walk in the Spirit and get a hold of your assignment, follow through on the things God's called you to do and realize there are gifts on the inside of you and that the greater one has a plan to bring blessing. Dare we believe this? This is the part where people, your theology, is so you start going, well, wait a minute. Does God really love me? God so loved the world, he gave his son. Well, but does he love me? Yes, he loves you. Well, what about Adam? I just told you that Jesus did a greater work than Adam did. Adam did a great work of messing everything up. And I used to be mad at Adam. Then I lived a bit of life, and I thought I would have blown it faster than Adam and worse. So we can't judge. Look at somebody next to you and say, I'm not, don't be judging. Look at somebody else and say, don't be hating. We walk in love. Tell somebody, say, I'm the love doctor. You, by the way, you got to walk in love. You got to walk in love right now. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. Love doesn't get resent, resentful. <laughs> Resentment is a prison. You and I will be tempted with it all our lives. That's why we pray we be, will be delivered from temptation. We pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. 
We, we pursue it. Husbands and wives, we don't let the devil get a wedge of strife in for one millisecond. Why? Because it says in the book of James that where there's jealousy and strife, there is confusion in every evil work. In your business, in your work, in church, in your family, in your neighborhood, try to be a peacemaker. Try to, hey, say, why can't we? I mean, even Rodney King made a great point. He said, why can't we all just get along? He realized, seriously, I believe what he said there was one of the strongest things that was said in the last, in the 20th century. Why can't we all just get along? Well, the answer is because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we're like a herd of cats. We're like we're a bunch of porcupines with a bunch of quills backing into each other going, ouch! And yet, we walk in love. Now, l- listen to this. We reign as kings in this life. Throw your shoulders back a little bit. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And this is something that we need to understand. We in America have such a sense of entitlement and we're so consumer-driven, so let's push all that aside. Let's let the Bible foster our original DNA imprint. God created us in his image and in his purposes. He is a a superabundant being. He has no limit to his kindness, no limit to his mercy. In fact, his mercies never come to an end. He's faithful to a thousand generations. You know, every one of our ATMs, we check the balance. If we, if we abuse it, we'll run it down to zero. But when we go before the Lord and, in his, and tap into his love and mercy, it's in always steady, rich supply. Our God is more than enough. He is the greater one. He's the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the answer for every nation, and he's the answer for your situation, whatever you're facing. It says right here in verse 18, so then, through the one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through the one act of righteousness, through the one act of righteousness, right there on the cross, through the one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. Our God is results-oriented. And Jesus, the Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, he was willing to be nailed to a cross, he hung there, he bled, and he died as a substitute for us to pay the penalty that we deserved so that through his death, We could have righteousness imparted to us and we could have peace that passes understanding and we could be set free. He that the Son sets free is free indeed. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. The law brings awareness to us of just how utterly we fail and we can't fulfill all those things. But where sin increased or abounded, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's life in Jesus. I want to ask you something. On the other hand, how many of you have asked Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior? Raise your hand real high, so high that you can't turn back. Keep your hand up. How many of you in this room, you say, man, I I couldn't immediately do that, but I want Jesus to come into my heart tonight. Just keep your hands up, everybody. If that's you and you say, no, you know, I need to get right with God. There's there's something I'm just, I, I have to settle. I be, before I die, I want to get my life right with Jesus. Lift your hand up as well. Now let's be bold. Let's all stand to our feet. Let's follow through on this. Because we're going to, having done all to stand, we'll stand. 
Recently, I read a, a man said, we need to stand for something lest we fall for anything. We need to learn to stand with a conviction that, okay, yeah, Adam failed. How many of you, hey, I admit the world's messed up. Who would agree the world? Who would agree everybody else? Hey, the world's messed up, y'all. How many of you would agree with that? How many of you just be bold and say, including me? That's the big part. That gets, knocks the smugness right out of our lives. I heard somebody say years ago, and I agree with it, but for the grace of God, go I. Next time you get tempted to judge, just think about it, man. We're not all that. But Jesus is so available. He's so present. By the way, guys, out in the ocean, you thought I was still flopping out there. They came up out in the middle of nowhere, a mile and a half off of an uninhabited island, the only boat within 80 miles. And there they came right up, they rode, rode right up on me. You say it was a needle in a haystack, one in a million chance. It was a Bible miracle. And they pulled me out of the water, and I was helpless. And it felt really embarrassing. My male ego, my 14-year-old Jeff Perry on the inside was going, oh man, I wish I was the rescuer and not the rescuee. But everybody must humble themselves. I had to humble myself and say, you guys, I can't do it on my own. I need help. And that's really where we get to the turning point for our lives. You need Jesus to come into your heart. How many of you, you say, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior? Well, that would be, hopefully all of us are raising our hands. Let's honor and dignify Good Friday right now. Let's make it all the more good by making it complete, connecting the circuit. Don't let anything else short-circuit it. Don't let it be for somebody else. Believe in God. Believe upon him. Trust him. Invite the Savior who died on that cross, who was buried and then rose again, who is alive today, into your heart. Ask him to be your Lord and Savior. Upon that confession of his lordship, the Bible says, if you confess Jesus as Lord, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And you know, for that matter, let's believe God over the challenges and trials of our lives. Because I know some of you are right in the middle of one. Some of you feel so hurt and disappointed. You feel like your insides are bruised. You can't even lift your hand. You feel numb. Some, there's somebody in here, you feel like you're at the lowest point of your life and you're flatlining. and you could barely even respond to what's going on around you. I pray the healing touch of God on your life, starting right now in Jesus' name. And I come against every demon spirit that's trying to control you and rip you off. And I command you evil spirits to leave these people right now in Jesus' name. In my name, they'll cast out demons. And I command you to go in Jesus' name by the authority of the name of Jesus. So let's pray. Put your hand on your heart and let's pray. Through the one man's obedience, the free gift of righteousness, many will be made righteous. Through Jesus' obedience, of what he did on the cross. Father, I thank you for your mercy that when we're a believer, we become alive to you, dead to the old way of life and a new creation. This is a starting point for many people, Lord, and I ask that you move mightily in people's hearts. Hey, if you're here tonight and this is real for you and you're saying, man, count me in. I want Jesus to be my Lord. You're praying this for the first time. Just lift your hand up again so I can know where you are. We can pray together. God bless you and you. Thank you. All over the building. Anybody else? You say, man, I've been a Christian, but I've been away from God. I'm finding my way back. You, thank you. You over there, you over here. Anybody else? 
just raise your hand and be bold. It's between you and God. I'm not going to call you forward or anything. I just wanted to call you out, give you something to stand for. Out yourself before God and say, come in, Lord Jesus. Say this with me. Heavenly Father, I believe in you. I believe in your promises. And I believe in your son, Jesus. I ask that he would come into my heart. Forgive me of all my sins. Lord, I forgive everybody. Thank you for erasing the darkness in my life. Thank you for pronouncing me free. I trust you, Jesus, to help me to follow through, to walk by faith and not by sight. I fix my hope on the living God, and I trust you for your purposes and your will to come to pass. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will not pass away. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer, for saving my city, for moving on America, for touching the nations and turning things around. We come against the forces of darkness now in the name of Jesus. And we ask for a tremendous global impact from God. In Jesus' name, world revival. In Jesus' name, amen.